Space, the final frontier. This is the Observer's Notebook, the official podcast of the Association of Lunar and Planetary Observers. It's mission to explore the solar system, to seek out new observations and data, to boldly go where no podcast has gone before. And now the host of the Observer's Notebook, Tim Robertson. Hello and welcome to the Observer's Notebook, the official podcast for the Association of Lunar and Planetary Observers. I'm Tim Robertson, your host of the podcast and also the coordinator of the training program within the ALPO. The Association of Lunar and Planetary Observers is an international organization devoted to the study of the sun, moon, planets, asteroids, meteors, and comets. Our goals are to stimulate, coordinate, and generally promote the study of these bodies using methods and instruments that are available within the communities of both amateur and professional astronomers. The Association of Lunar and Planetary Observers collects and analyzes observations of various solar system bodies and associated phenomenon, and publishes those in, with detailed reports in the quarterly publication, the Journal of the Association of Lunar and Planetary Observers, otherwise known as the Strolling Astronomer. This podcast depends upon donations from you, our listeners, to keep it alive. If you enjoy what you hear on the Observer's Notebook, you can donate it to it via Patreon by giving as little as $1 a month. If you feel even more generous, for $5 you receive early access to the podcast before it goes public. For a monthly donation of $10, you receive a copy of the Novice Observer's Handbook. And for $35 a month, you will receive producer credits on the podcast. You can help us out by going to www.patreon.com slash Observer's Notebook. A reminder, the Association of Lunar and Planetary Observers maintains many individual observing sections and programs devoted to the study of various solar system bodies and phenomenon. Each is managed by one or more coordinators that collect and study the submitted observations. If you would like to join the ALPO, you can for as little as $14 a year. For more information, you can visit us on the internet at www.alpo-astronomy.org. And now, The Observer's Notebook. All right, I'd like to welcome everybody back to the Observer's Notebook podcast. We have a special guest today, Brian D. Warner. He's from the Center of Solar System Studies in Eaton, Colorado. Uh, welcome to the podcast, Brian. And thank you for having me. Now, Brian, before we get started, why don't you give everybody a little bit of background about yourself? Oh, my goodness. Uh, well, I went to high school with Galileo. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I feel that old some days. Uh, actually, I've been interested in astronomy since about fifth grade. I read a story in a science book about what would happen if the sun went out, and that caught my attention and imagination, and so it started from there. And uh, bought a telescope when I was in junior high, and in high school I decided, well, if if folks can compute orbits, so can I, and about 20 years later, I finally succeeded. <laughs> so, uh, and pretty much was interested in, uh, in astronomy the whole time, uh, did some mostly visual observing, and uh, was very active in AAVSO for a while. Oh, okay. And then, um, I like variable stars. I like anything in the sky. And uh, so, eventually got interested in, in doing asteroids full-time um, so around 1999 
when there was a minor planet amateur professional workshop in Flagstaff, Arizona. And um, a lot of folks got uh, going at that point uh, in doing asteroid uh, astrometry was the big thing at the time and also discovery because that was before the surveys got online and so amateurs still had a good chance of, of making discoveries. Um, but my interest turned to photometry simply because I saw the handwriting on the wall uh, as far as discovery. So I've been at it since 1999, so gosh, almost, uh, what, 19 years now. Wow, and, and you've done so much of it, you actually wrote a book on it, right? Uh, yeah, uh, the third edition now, or second edition, if you depending on how you count, with uh, with Springer, um, that's on photometry. Um, it, it seems to concentrate on asteroids, but uh, a lot of the material can apply to any kind of photometry. And where's that book? What's the name of the book? It's called uh, Practical Guide to Light Curve Photometry and Analysis. And it's available and, like on Amazon? Uh, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, directly from Springer. Okay. I will step back a minute. You, you talked about the uh, you bought your first telescope when you were in junior high? Mm-hmm. What was that? Yeah, I, I had a paper route and okay. uh, saved, it, saved up a little bit of money. And there was this uh, gentleman in town who was a turn-of-the-century uh, uh, into early 1900s uh, country doctor. And he still had his little black flag and everything. But he had, uh, he had taken up making telescopes and um, advertised them in the local newspaper and the one ads and went over there. And uh, he happened to have a, a little four-and-a-quarter-inch uh, Newtonian refractor that was pretty amazing. It uh, was Newtonian. Um, it was on an equatorial mount. It had a little tangent arm uh, drive so mm. that you could uh, follow the stars for a little bit. And uh, that was my first uh, really, quote, big scope. And uh, and then aperture fever takes over, of yeah. course, and then, and then you're hooked. Okay. Uh, so you, you've got an interest in asteroids now, right? Uh -huh. You talk to me about that. How did you, how did you develop that? Uh, you know, I've never really traced it all the way back to know exactly why. Um, I do remember in high school I was trying to compute orbits of asteroids and not just, um, okay, here are the orbital elements uh, generate an ephemeris, but to go the other way back. If I have positions, can I determine the orbit? of the asteroid okay. and that was uh, a little bit above my skills at the time especially when I was using only a TI-56 calculator <laughs> with a hundred programmable steps <laughs> wow <laughs> I think I had one of those <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, well we could talk about Ataris and Commodores and go on oh uh, yeah well, that, Trash 80 so. yeah alright <laughs> oh, oh yeah. yeah I had one of the first ones yeah 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 Okay, so now you're into the photometry, which is uh, mm. measuring the brightness of asteroids and light curves. Right, um, right. Do you think you, that interest developed from your AAVSO work, too? Um, well, I guess a little bit. The main, main thing is that I uh, met up with a gentleman by the name of Terry Schmidt, who had moved from Aurora, Illinois, to uh, Colorado Springs, um, so that he could uh, build an observatory up in the mountains. And uh, so uh, he saw my little four-inch telescope out on the porch as he was walking around the neighborhood and mm -hmm. knocked on the door, introduced himself, and that began a friendship that lasted until the day he passed away oh, uh, 
many years ago but um, he would uh, we did build a, an observatory he would sit in his uh, lawn chair and watch me try to dig through gravel <laughs> <laughs> so we could get the pier um, but eventually put up a couple of nice scopes and there was a 16 inch uh, Bolivar and Shivens and we put um, one of those Optech SSP photometers okay. on the back of it and started measuring he was interested in asteroids uh, and the light curves and so by extension I got interested in them and uh, continued on with the work hmm. now for our listeners that don't know a lot about uh, astronomy we have some beginners out there that listen to the podcast what is the importance of a light curve well a light it, curve it, is a light, a light curve is in the simplest uh, definition is a plot of the brightness of an object versus time or it can be versus uh, rotation phase, meaning it's period. Uh, and the idea is, um, with asteroids in specifically, um, once you have the data that generates a light curve, you can use something like Fourier analysis or other means, and you can determine the rotation period of the asteroid. And that becomes important given, uh, if you know it's estimated size, uh, there's a, a plot that's fairly much used in DPS meetings, Division of Planetary Sciences meetings that uh, come from a database that I maintain that shows the rotation frequency as opposed to period, one over the period, uh, versus the size. And uh, the first thing that's really obvious when you look at this plot is that the things start, you know, there's all sorts of dots and all of a sudden you get to this period of about 2.2 hours and they stop cold. Hmm. Um uh, up for most sizes. Once you get to the teeny guys, then there's what I call this ascending branch. And this has to do with something called, uh, it's the spin barrier. Uh, and what it's the idea is, is that anything, uh, YORP, which is a, a thermal effect that can cause an asteroid to spin up or spin down in, in period, uh, gets it to spinning so fast that eventually... Uh, it either has to break apart if it's a what's called a rubble pile um, or it becomes a very unusual object if it's sitting above that spin barrier and, and above a size so it, it kind of helped define the fact of what the structure of asteroids are um, in other words rubber rubber piles uh, rubble piles huh, I haven't uh, heard that term before oh yeah well it's it's a term that was coined some years back and isn't meant to be taken uh, as an absolute, okay. but the idea is, is that it's a better term is gravitationally bound material. Think of a beanbag spinning in space, and it's all held together by its own uh, mutual gravitation, more than strength, cohesion, or whatever. And you can only spin that up so fast before it starts flying apart, and that's what the the spin barrier shows. And oh, if it okay. and if it does throw off material uh, a lot of things can happen uh, the most uh, dramatic if you will is that it forms a satellite the extra material goes off and doesn't quite escape but that it congeals back together and so you get a little little satellite of the asteroid wow so you can actually watch the life cycle basically of an asteroid through the measurements uh, yeah I mean you're not going to see it go from um, uh, you know, it's sort of like with variable stars. You get a snapshot at all different right. stages of life, but you're never going to see it evolve. One guy evolve completely. It takes millions of years for this kind of thing to happen. But yeah, you do catch them in all sorts of different states. And yeah, I mean, you've seen 
um, you know, the, the pictures with radar where you see those little guys, they were likely formed with uh, because the asteroid spun up and to the point where it shed mass. Amazing, amazing. Now, you, are you currently a member of the ALPO? Yes, I am. Okay, and you contribute to the minor plat- planet section, right? Uh, yes, okay, uh, mostly because by submitting lots of papers uh, with lots of asteroid-like curves uh, to the Minor Planet Bulletin. Yeah, and they loved it so much that a few years ago you were the recipient of the Walter W. Haas Observer's Award. Yeah, it was a great honor. Great, congratulations on that. That's a well, pretty, thank pretty, you. pretty prestigious honor, I believe. Yeah. That's wonderful. Now, um, what type of equipment do you currently use? Um, I have five telescopes. Okay. They're located in uh, an observatory complex uh, in Landers, California, the high desert north of Joshua Tree. Okay, but you They're, live in Colorado. Uh, I live in Colorado. Okay. I run the telescopes over the Internet. Yeah. And in fact, um, as I said in my uh, most recent version of my book, uh, one day I was sitting and watching the telescopes uh, and making sure that they were working, and then I would sip some hot chocolate at the Paris Cafe watching the boats go down the Seine. <laughs> You know, the way astronomy, uh, you know, or observing has evolved over the years, uh, the capabilities is just amazing. So, um, but yeah, the the five scopes, uh, one of them is a 20-inch Richard Cretien that was uh, kind of homebrew from uh, a guy in uh, Utah. There's four Meade LX200 scopes, uh, 12 inches and 14 inches. And each one has a CCD camera permanently mounted on them, and they're controlled by, in part by software I wrote, and in part by uh, software BISC's uh, SkyX. Mm. And we just have this scripting thing that says, hey, wait till sunset, open up the roof, turn on the power, get everything ready when the asteroid rises, please slew to it, make sure you're aimed at it, please start taking pictures, and when twilight starts or the asteroid sets, you can stop, and in the meantime, upload all these pictures to uh, the cloud, and I'll download them and measure them. Now, are you using all five telescopes at the same time, or are you just using mm-hmm. Yeah. Really? And, yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I, I can end up, depending on... Uh, the nature of the targets. If you have an NEA that's really zipping through the sky, then I'm going to get lots of images. I've had a, more than a, a thousand images to measure just off one asteroid uh, in a night. And so, um, on average, I have about 800 images to measure off the five scopes. Wow. Now, okay, <laughs> a lot of questions about this observatory. <laughs> um, yeah. Is it yours? Or is it a? Yes. Or is it from a group of people? It's yours. It's your observatory. Well, yeah, I mean, I, the complex is is from a group of people. It's a little five hundred one c nonprofit that uh, uh, I'm with. Okay. Um, and uh, so, what I have to do for me is depend on somebody out in California to go kick the tires if something goes wrong. Ah, okay. And and uh, there is no such thing as a perfect robotic telescope. Mm-hmm. Something will go wrong. Mm. Okay, so, so your average observing night is pre-programmed then, basically, right? Mm-hmm. You just have. Yeah. Are, 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 I believe you, I saw a photograph of the observatory. Is there a roll-off roof? It's a roll-off. Yes, roof. they are. Okay. Yeah. Is it uh, motorized? So you just push a button and it opens the roof, or? Well, I don't even push a button. I uh, the way we have them set up is kind of neat. The um, little way they're rigged is, if you turn on power to them, which we do by a switch that we access remotely over the internet. Uh, they open, wow. and 
and if you turn off power, which the script will do in, in the morning, um, they close. Um, and it even gets to the point that in case, for example, power goes out, um, the system has the redundancy such that it will automatically close while there's still enough power in the backup so that you don't get the roof stuck open. Interesting. Yeah, land. I'm familiar with landers. It's it's a high desert area, so you have a lot of clear skies, and it's a dark area too. So that's a, probably an ideal hey, location. Uh, fairly dark. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's it's developing. Yeah, um, that's true. Yucca, yucky val, yucca valley. <laughs> yucky valley. It's a, probably not a bad word for it. Uh, is about uh, 30 miles south, and so we get a pretty good glow. Yeah, you get Palm but, Springs down there too in that area. But mm-hmm. yeah, okay. Yeah. Wow, that's interesting. So, how many asteroids are you currently cataloging, if that would be the right word? Well, I observe, you know, like five at a time and keep working them until I get a period. But I've uh, amassed like curves, about 25 to 2,800 like curves since 1999. And some of those are uh, multiple for the same asteroid. So, I've observed it more than once. Um, but somewhere around that neighborhood. Wow. And there's an average of about three to four days for most of them, but some of them will have to follow for more than a month uh, because the period is very, very slow. Interesting. And what's the uh, limited magnitude you're reaching with your telescopes? Uh, I, I've been able to get photometry down to 19.2 at the 20 but that's only when the amplitude of the light curve is at least three times the error bars. And, of course, when you get down to 19.2, that means the amplitude of the light curve has to be somewhere around 0.6 magnitudes or greater. But in general, I could work between 18 and 18.5 and get good photometry, even with 14s. That's, that's pretty cool. So you have a whole realm of asteroids you could be looking at at any one time then. Oh, yeah. That's yeah. Right. And, uh, I concentrate on NEAs because that's where my funding has been from NASA and NSF. Near-Earth asteroids. Uh, yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, near-Earth near asteroids. But, um, you know, in the concept of data mining, uh, I'll also check to say, hey, I sat on this field all night and look. Oh, there's like two or three other asteroids that were sitting in there at the same time. So I'll go ahead and measure those. And uh, sometimes they stay in the field long enough to get a, a good good light curve in a good period and sometimes they may move out but when I finish with the primary target I'll go back um, the idea is to remove as much observational bias as possible by not throwing the hard ones back but to stick with them huh. this is fascinating I mean, it really is just the whole automated observatory oh, yeah. I mean, and do you miss looking through a telescope uh you're in Colorado, really. especially this time of year, you're not, right? <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, actually, it wasn't too bad today. But, you know, it's been so long since I've actually looked through a scope. Um, I, I guess I really don't miss it. It is a nice thing. I mean, a lot of the AAVSO work I did was visual. In fact, mm-hmm. it was all visual photometry, you know, just the estimates and, and turning those in. I never, except for a couple of times, have I actually done CCD photometry for uh, for variable stars. Now you, you said that you've done work with NASA. Yeah, my I I have funded I've, since 2005. I've had um, grants from uh, NASA and or NSF to uh, to fund my observing. So instead of working day and night, I just uh, you know a day job, 
and then staying up night and and observing and then uh, using my lunch hour to catch a nap in the car um now it's all all dedicated to to the observing and uh, measuring the images, and I'm also have some responsibilities to maintain uh, a couple of databases. Okay. So, okay, and that's part I, that's part of the funding that the, the, the mm-hmm. databases, and I'm sure publishing your results as well, right? Right. Yeah. Okay. Now, you, the, some of your results, I'm sure, are going to the ALP. Are there other places where you publish your light curves? Uh. For the most part, it's Minor Planet Bulletin, so okay. um, the Apple. But there are uh, on occasion I will give the data to someone who will use it, a professional who will use it for a big picture study or a more detailed study uh, of a particular asteroid, and then that gets published in something like Icarus or, um, in one case, it was, uh, let's see, I, uh, Nature. Uh, when they used my data along with uh, that from several years apparitions to show that this effect of yorp does actually cause an asteroid to spin up or slow down mm-hmm. wow okay um the okay accessing i want to go back to the, the observatory um okay. access okay is, is it like a web-based system that you're using or how is it i'm using something you know i think remote desktop software is the simplest description okay. uh so uh just peek into the computer in the distance and it's all running there uh and you know i can change the script and do everything as if i were sitting out at the computer now do you sell telescope time on the observatory too or specifically for your project that's how you it's it. it's specifically for our own projects uh, okay. we don't do the time I, when you get into that then you're obligated to have somebody there to kick the tires uh, and in our situation, uh, all of the guys who are out in California truly have day jobs. And uh, if something goes wrong, it could be a week or two before somebody can actually get up there. I see. I see. That's why five scopes. And, you know, it's I've, I've never gotten to the point that I had an, uh, all five down and I couldn't observe at all. Okay. <laughs> that's, that's pretty cool. Great. Um, what other interests do you have in astronomy, or is that it? Oh, well, it's, asteroids are us. Uh, <laughs> it sounds like that's your focus. That's your world, yeah. Yeah, well, you know, because it does take, uh, to, to to go what I'm doing does take a lot of uh, time and resource. Um, uh, I mean, I would dearly love to be able to go and do some variable star work, you know, mm-hmm. just sit on um, a nice eclipsing binary with a real regular curve and period because so many of these asteroid-like curves are just... Are, are ugly beasts and, and very hard to get a period out of. But, uh, you know, once I get the light curves and turn them all in, um, uh, if I get enough light curves over enough years, then I can actually take the the data from all of those years and do that in uh, of another form of inversion, which is to say, okay, what shape and orientation of this shape will have generated all of these light curves? And um, so it's it's called modeling, spin axis and shape modeling. Okay. And I've been able to generate uh, some shapes and spin axes for about oh, 50 asteroids or more. Wow. Yeah, we have a, a well, Carl uh, Hergen, rather, who mm-hmm. is our comment section, but he works for OSIRIS-REx. Right. Mission to an asteroid this, this year, in fact. And we were talking about you know, the, this type of thing that, you know, light curves and how they're, how they determine the asteroid that they're going to go to and things. So this fits right in with what they're doing in that project as well. 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. Great. This is wonderful. Is there anything else you'd like to share with us? Um. Well, I think I'd like to emphasize that point I made is, and that's data mining. If you're if you're out, if you are taking CCD images and you're sitting on a field, um, obviously you're doing it for a particular reason. But there may be other interesting stuff in that. So um, give some thought to that, and please, please, please publish mm-hmm. your results if at all possible. If you're doing asteroids, uh, the Minor Planet Bulletin, it's a referee journal according to the uh, ADS, the Astrophysical Data System. So that means it, it's prestigious in its own right to, to have a publication there. And then if uh, submit your data someplace at some point to somebody, because eventually um, you won't be around, but it would be nice if your data are, so that some future researcher can use it. Um, that, that's, that's the main thing I like to try to push. Yeah, and this is and this is what I love about the ALPO and the work that we do in the organization is we're amateurs, right? We're not professional astronomers, but you're doing science, man. You're doing actual yeah. science that is useful, and you've got a grant from the government for your observatory. <laughs> you know, that's that's remarkable. That's fantastic stuff. And just I know the first time I ever did an observation in the ALPO and sent it in and it was published. Yeah, I was a high school kid, and I'm like, yeah. Oh, what I did actually meant something, mm-hmm. and yeah, that exactly. just, that just motivates you to go any even further in, in 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 this wonderful astronomy world we live in, and the equipment is so nice too, and like the imagers that we that we have are getting cheaper, and the computer mm-hmm. software is getting more advanced. You know, it's like the one you talked about I, that you've worked with too. Yeah, you know, it's just it absolutely boggles my mind to see the. Uh, planetary photos from ground-based uh, amateur telescopes at 14 inches oh. um, that rival Hubble, Damien really. H. Yeah, Damien is just... Uh, you see those... I mean, I remember trying to take pictures with my little 4-inch telescope yep. <laughs> and getting a little dot, and I'm going, well, this is disappointing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, that, then, and then you see his stuff, and it's just it just uh, it blows you away. It really, and he hasn't been doing it that long, either. It's it's as you say the software, uh, and the imagers that have become available just open so many doors. Right, and we can actually do science. This is one of the I, I hate calling it a hobby because it's a passion. Avocation. It's yeah. There an you go. It's an avocation, and it's like yeah. we can actually contribute to the world of science. Something unlike most other hobbies you can do, and that's what's wonderful yeah. about astronomy. Yeah, I don't know too many guys who have a. Uh, a collider in their backyard and are helping it's <laughs> the folks at CERN, you know. That's true. It would be kind of cool, though, wouldn't it? Yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, Dave, how can everybody get a hold of you? Uh, well, um, the best way is, uh, I guess, by email, and that's Brian, B-R-I-A-N, at minorplanetobserver.com. Oh, that's wonderful. It's not Brian Warner, Marilyn Manson. It's Brian Warner, right? No, 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 no. I- I've actually gotten... Uh, years ago, before word finally got out on the internet that I was not the Brian Warner, uh, I did get phone calls at like two in the morning from from folks who thought, "Wow, I've latched on to to Marilyn's phone number." And you know, one night because Marilyn wife Manson's answered. actual name is Brian Warner, right? Exactly. Yeah. yeah, I mean, he he called up and said, "Dude, <laughs> can I have tickets, man?" <laughs> 
it took it took about three or four minutes for me to finally get through to him that I wasn't the right person. I the, the disappointment in his voice was sad. <laughs> That's funny. That's great. Well, Brian, I really want to thank oh. you for coming on the podcast today. Oh, well, I would thank you very much. I enjoyed it. All right. Well, that'll do it for, again for this episode of the, of the Observer's Notebook Podcast. I again want to thank our special guest, Brian Warner, for coming on and talking about making light curves of minor planets. A very interesting subject. I hope you enjoyed it. We upload a new episode of the Observer's Notebook every few weeks. You can subscribe to us on iTunes. If you do, please rate and review us. I do appreciate it. It brings more people to the podcast. You can also listen to us on SoundCloud. The link is right there in the show notes. We're also available on Google Play and Stitcher and just about anywhere else you can listen to podcasts. If you like the podcast and you want to support it, you can donate to it using Patreon. You can give as little as a dollar a month. If you feel really generous, you can give $35 a month where you will see, receive one year's membership to the ALPO and producer credits on the podcast. And with that, I'd really like to thank the producer of this podcast, Steve Seidentop, for his generous support of the Observer's Notebook. The link for Patreon, as well as the link for the ALPO, is in the show notes. If you'd like to get a hold of me, you can email me at cometman at cometman.net or on Twitter at ObserversNBPod. If you're interested in joining the ALPO, membership begins at only $14 a year. You can find out more at www.alpo-astronomy.org. And we're also on the Facebook ALPO Astronomy. Just search for that up on top, a little search blocks. Just type in ALPO Astronomy. And the podcast has a Facebook page as well. Just search for Observer's Notebook. The ALPO is an international organization devoted to the study of the sun, moon, planets, asteroids, meteors, minor planets, and comets. Our goals are to stimulate, coordinate, and generally promote the study of these bodies using methods and instruments that are available within the communities of both amateur and professional astronomers. Until next time, my hope is you always have clear and steady skies. Thanks for listening. <laughs>